0: Well, good morning again. I want to welcome you in uh, this morning to Palm Sunday. Uh, it's a pretty exciting time in the in the church calendar in the church life cycle as we uh, begin Holy Week as we begin to see the journey of Jesus to the cross and then finally his resurrection and, and the power and kind of the all of the stuff our faith is based on happens here in the next few few days. And so it's a pretty exciting time and uh, today, we're going to look at the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. And, and many people kind of just pass over this story as kind of the marking of the Holy Week or the beginning of Holy Week, the beginning of when Jesus kind of proclaims himself as king and, and goes to the cross and to his death and to his resurrection. But I think this story can teach us a really radical lesson if we if we really understand what's going on. And so this morning, as we dive into this story, I want us to uh, really kind of understand the bigger picture of what's going on, of what's, of what's really happening. So we're going to be in John chapter 12, starting in verse 12, if you have your Bible with us. And before we jump into that, let's just pause and pray. Jesus, thank you so much for these moments together. Thank you for being among us, being here. Uh, we know that you are moving. We know that you are active. We know that you are wanting to speak to us and draw us closer to you. And so, help our hearts to be open to that this morning. We surrender all of our thoughts, all of our emotions, our attention to you. We submit them to you in these next few moments that we can uh, seek after you and what you may have for us. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, this past week, uh, what we've kind of coined or, or come to know as March Madness ended, right? Uh, so the, the Women's College Basketball Championship ended last week. Uh, the Men's Act ended uh, this past Monday. And, it, and this, this tournament has done a really great job. There's a bunch of uh, anticipation about it, a bunch of media, a bunch of press, all that sort of thing. And they do a great job building on a very fundamental need I think all of us have in our life as humans. And it's this need to be a part of something bigger, than just us. Right? And I, and I think sports does a really good job of doing that. You know, we all have our teams that we like. And so in those moments that they're playing, it gives us kind of purpose and meaning and understanding. Like, we know what we're supposed to do during those times. We're supposed to cheer for this team. And then also, we have the teams that we don't like. And so during those times, we know exactly what we're supposed to be doing, the purpose and the meaning. We, we cheer against them. Right? Like... Th- there's so much more bigger than us. It's bigger than us, and there's many different industries, not just sports, but but art, and music, and film, and literature, and poetry, and, and kind of this whole bigger thing that people just kind of throw themselves into. In fact, I would say most of us do that, maybe not through those avenues, but even through our jobs, through our marriages, through our families, through our relationships. It, it is the bigger part that we are a part of. It's It's bigger than us. This is I believe, a fundamental need in, in all of us. And so as we have that mindset this morning, I want to approach this story with that in mind, with that kind of idea that we have a desire to be a part of something bigger. I want to approach this story with that. So John, chapter 12, starting in verse 12, says this, The next day the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord blessed is the king of Israel Jesus found a young donkey sat upon it as it is written Do not be afraid O daughter of Zion see your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt So we have to understand a few different things when we read scripture when we read the Bible we have to understand details We really have to be able to pick apart details and really understand them if we really to really get the bigger picture of what's happening And there's a few details here that that we need to understand. First of all, we have the cra- ra- waving palm branches, much like we did this morning. This was a sign of victory, of triumph, of prosperity in the context of, of Jesus's time. This is what it meant, that he was all-powerful, that he was He was king. Like this was Jesus's declaration as he is the, the, the Messiah, the coming one, the king. Comes riding in on The donkey, and so the palm branches represent this victory or this this new king that's coming. Another thing we have to understand, another detail we have to understand, is Jesus is riding in on a donkey, and not a full-grown donkey, a young donkey. And this is a sign of humility, of submission, and of peace. So we have the crowd who's over here shouting victory, shouting triumph, prosperity, he's our new king, and then we have Jesus riding in on a donkey that promotes peace and humility and submission and patience. So we kind of have these extremes going on in this picture. And, and we have to be okay to be in this tension. If you see, Jesus doesn't rebuke the crowd for what they're doing, and as he shouldn't. Like, he is the rightful king. He is uh, the king. And so we need to worship him, and we need to sing Hosanna and all those things. But he sits in this tension of there's power And there's humility. So we have to be okay to kind of sit in this tension a little bit this morning. And as we begin to understand this story even deeper, um, we're going to see that that this power that we seek so many times is really the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus. The prophecy that's going on that they say, uh, fear not, O daughter of Zion, for here comes your king riding in on a donkey. This would, the the Jewish crowd of that time would remember the prophecy in Zechariah as the Israelites were being uh, conquered and overcome by foreign countries and foreign kings, and they were being exiled and sent off to different lands. And so this is what the prophecy of Zechariah was. And in the middle of this prophecy, Zechariah provides uh, a glimmer of hope to the people, saying, fear not, daughter of Zion, fear not, daughter of Jerusalem, for your king is coming. All this stuff going on, I know it's not good, you're being oppressed, you're being persecuted, you're being overcome, but fear not, because your king is coming, and he's coming riding in on a donkey. So the crowd, when they see Jesus riding in on the donkey, that's the prophecy they think of, right? And they associate that with the context of the prophecy, meaning when they see Jesus riding in on a donkey, they start to begin to think of war and chaos and uncertainty, and we see them saying, finally, our king is coming. He's going to bring peace. He's going to bring uh, all the stuff we long for. Goodness gracious. <laughs> um, all the stuff that we long for. And they have the way in which they want him to do it. Like these, this crowd, it seems like they're ready to go to war with him. Like they're ready to fight for him. And they don't get it. And we know that because just a few days later, they're the ones saying, crucify him. Crucify him. And so we have to understand that this crowd also has a desire to be a part of something bigger. We have to understand something else, too, that, that right before this happens, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. I'm not sure there's anything much bigger we can throw ourselves at than to be a part of something that has power over death. Right? And so the, the crowd sees it. And as we read on, we would know that they, they saw Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And so they came to Jerusalem. Because they heard he was going there. And they go, finally, our king is something. It's, it's the thing we can throw ourselves in. It's bigger than us. You know, it has power over death. It has all this kind of stuff. And so we have the crowd fulfilling this need of being a part of something bigger. The danger of this deep internal need of ours is that we tend to use it to gain control and gain power over others. And that's what this crowd is doing. Right? And we can see that because they say crucify him just a couple days later. Because in their minds, they expect Jesus to go about uh, proclaiming his kingship and, and, and setting his kingdom here on earth in a certain way. And when he doesn't do it, they're quick to turn. They're quick to turn. And I think there's a couple ways we can see this. First of all, they're looking for power over, like we said, Jesus has shown he has power over death. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they're like, yes, I want that. I want that kind of power. I want that kind of control. As a human, we we want these kinds of things that we can control things and we can make sure everything's going to go the way we want it to go. Because, I mean, let's just, can we be honest for a minute? Marriage would be a lot easier if our spouses just did what we told them to do. (laughs) Parenting would be a lot easier if the line, because I said so, actually worked right? Like, this is what we long for. You know, it would be easier to be an American if our government would just write laws and and legislate things that line up with our ideals and our beliefs. It would be easier to follow Jesus if he just did it in the way we expect him to, right? And so we have to kind of sit in this tension and wrestle with this and go, man, maybe we've let this desire of control and power creep into our hearts in the name of Jesus, And we have to be able to step back and look at the bigger picture and see that Jesus is okay with this tension. He's okay with this idea of power. And and yes, Jesus is all-powerful, and he has power over death. But the way that Jesus gets to there, gets to that place, so that you and I can experience this same power is the same way we have to do it also. Another way that we do this is is through manipulation, right? Like we we can kind of hopefully control people. And especially our emotions, I think emotions are powerful, they're great. I think God can speak to us through our emotions, but we have to be careful. Because just when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and I'm going to guess that was a pretty emotional time, people would say, oh, we can use these emotions to kind of get them to do what we want them to do. Again, trying to power over and have control and gain this certainty and this, uh, this kind of status that we are in control. And we are confronted with Jesus riding on a donkey. That of peace, patience, humility, submission. So what do we do? What do we do when our ideas of, of power, of control, are confronted by this Jesus? And I think um, something that's, that we can kind of take to heart pretty quickly is when you guys walk in on a Sunday morning, you see our mission statement on the, on the, on the whatever that's called, the wall. Thank you. Uh, you know, inviting people to apprenticeship to Jesus, learning to live by faith, transmit hope, and be known by love. And we we identify that last part, to be known by love, as as seeing the dignity and honor in others, and it it, it enables us to selflessly serve others. This is how we start to push against this desire of control and, and power over is we see people as God's created beings enabling us to selflessly serve, not to expect anything back, not serving so we can somehow raise ourselves above them so they have to owe us. And so we're left with this really kind of a uncommon word that we use anymore, is this idea of submission, of submitting to Jesus, submitting to one another. In this place, we should not have power struggles. We should not be lobbying for positions. This is the, this is the kingdom Jesus comes to set up, right? One where there, is no, there are no power struggles. You don't have to lobby for certain positions. You don't have to try and gain a voice. You have it because simply of who you are, of who God created you to be. And when we, when we begin to see people this way, it enables us to live a way that pushes against this desire for control, this desire for power over, and it, Im- and it opens up the world that is way bigger than we could ever imagine. Way bigger than we could ever imagine. And when we look at Jesus, not only him riding in on the donkey that promotes peace and patience and humility and all these sorts of things. When we look at him on his journey to the cross... He's hanging on the cross, and and a guy next to him says, if you're the son of God, you could get down here. You don't have to be up here. Baiting him to power over rather than submission to God. When I read the story of Jesus in front of uh, Pilate, where Pilate washes his hands, it seems like to me Pilate's one of the most unstable emotional characters in Scripture. Where Jesus could say a few things and maybe manipulate a few words to get him to say, you know what, we're going to let Jesus go. But he doesn't do it. He consistently submits to those around him, even when it leads to his death. He selflessly serves. He selflessly gives himself up. He doesn't try to power over. He doesn't try to manipulate anything. And the people oh, are wanting this idea of power and this idea of we're going to finally rule and reign and we're going to have the right and we're going to have the voice and all that kind of stuff because in this time the Jewish people were being persecuted and they were being oppressed and they're saying finally that's not going to happen anymore and then they see Jesus go through the biggest persecution and oppression and they go oh no but this is the Jesus we're confronted with that confronts our desire for power our desire for control says in order to push that stuff away, in order to, to not live in that way, we must learn to selflessly serve one another. In the crowd, there's a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, who wants to see Jesus. So this person goes to the disciples, and the disciples bring him to Jesus. And here's what Jesus tells this guy. Uh, in verse 23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever, seer, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. In order for us to really selflessly serve one another, we must die to ourselves. Jesus says it all throughout in the Gospels to, to hate our lives, die to ourselves, or, or carry our cross. And we have, to, we have to be able to put our own desires and be able to say, you know what, it's not about me learning to control situations or manipulate situations. It's about me becoming the person God wants me to be and you becoming the person God wants you to become. And so we can do this together. And so we submit to one another and we, we selflessly serve one another. But first, we must, we must submit and selflessly serve God. And this is, what, this is what he says to the Gentile. He says, listen, a seed must die in order for there to bear fruit. We must die to ourselves in order to be able to do this. He says, and those who love their lives will lose it, but those who hate their lives will gain eternity. He, Jesus isn't really saying to hate your life. He's just saying in comparison to your love for him, compared to your love for your own life, should look like. It should be those two extremes. And so we're confronted with this picture of Jesus. And then he says uh, that it's not those who serve me will follow me, and where I am, there I will be. And this verse really messed with me this week because we've told and I've told and uh, all kinds of people, we say, you know, just go do something and ask God to bless it. That verse, this verse kind of flips that around, kind of helps us take a step back. And we look and we say, okay, God, where are you at work? And then we go and we're with him. See, when we start to say, God, I'm going to go over here and do this. I hope you bless it. We fall in the same temptations of control and power over. And Jesus is saying, no, no, if you follow me, if you serve me, it's about finding where Jesus is. It's about seeing where he's already at work. And going to that place and serving along with him. Because he says in uh, verse 26, My servant uh, and where I am, my servant also will be. And then he ends with a promise. In this little, in this little you know, address to this Gentile, God, or Gentile guy, he ends it with a promise. It says, my father will honor the one who serves me. So when we learn to take a step back, when we learn to, to let go of our control and our power struggle and wanting the power and wanting the, the control of all of it, when we learn to step back and, and look where God is working and to go there, that, Jesus says, that's when you are honored. That's how you get the victory. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the way to the cross. He took a step back and he, he prayed in the garden, God, if there's any other way, to make it happen. But he knew that this was God's plan, and so he continued on this path. And so finally, the resurrection and the power, and he became the victorious king that we serve today. And he goes, this is the way. This is the way we get connected to something so much bigger than ourselves that's not run by power or control, but is that of humility and submission and love for one another. This is what we mean when we say known by love is that we let go of our own, of our own desires and our own uh, controlled desires and our power and wanting power and wanting influence and wanting uh, a voice and giving it to other people. This is what we mean when we say known by love. And this is what we are drawn to and this is what Jesus does. He consistently gives his voice away to someone else. When he could have stepped in and said, you know, we're not going to do it this way, he gives it to someone else, the crowd who says crucify him. Pilate who says, give him Barabbas. He continually gives it, gives it all away. So as we close this morning, there's not really a better time for us to participate in communion together as we remember the sacrifice Jesus made for us. And as we do that, I I want us to examine our hearts. Where have we let power or the desire for power and control kind of creep in? and maybe even doing it in the name of Jesus, thinking, well, we believe the right things and we think the right things about God. And because of that, we have this status. We must learn to examine our hearts and be able to see and be able to push against the desire of control and power and embrace those of humility and submission and peace and patience with one another. This is how we get true victory. In our walk with Christ. This is how we experience victory in our life, is to follow Jesus riding on the donkey. So in a little bit, uh, ushers will dismiss you starting in the back of your sections off to the right. You can come down front. There'll be a station in front of each section. You can take the elements here at the front, or you can circle around your section, go back to your seat. Uh, If you have a gluten allergy, we have gluten-free wafers this morning. Um, And then also, if you would uh, want to be prayed for, we have an anointing and prayer station over here. Uh, But as we do this, uh, let's just take a few moments of silence and examine our hearts and ask ourselves the question, where has power or the desire for power and and control kind of crept into our life? And how can we begin to push away those things and and embrace the things of of Jesus, of humility, of peace, patience, and submission? Those who are serving communion can come and prepare as we do this time of silence. Will you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for these times together. And as we go this week, God, help us to be people who embrace uh, peace and humility and submission. May we see each other as people that we can selflessly serve. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.